Transition happens in our lives, whether we want it to or not. Uh, Very often, the things that we uh, experience and take for granted as part of our lives at one day in time, uh, as we grow older, as new events occur, as we age, those aren't the same experiences that we have later in life. We, We move and we transition from one thing to another, whether it's moving to a new area, whether it's just aging and the process there, seeing your children age, well, you know, they... There are, um, there are moments in life that you might enjoy and that love uh, and that uh, those might not last forever. But then there might be new things that you never thought you would uh, appreciate and love, but then all of a sudden they, they become a part of your life. Transition happens. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about uh, a prophet and a judge of Israel whose name is Samuel. And Samuel is someone who, if you had to boil his ministry down, I think transition would be a really uh, important word for, for what that is. Um, we have looked at uh, different call stories in the Bible that have popped up. We've looked at Adam and Eve, and we've looked at Noah, and we've looked at Abraham, and we've looked at um, uh, Moses, and we've looked at Joshua, and we've seen that with each of these call stories, there have been great transitions that have happened in Israel from that point forward. We're skipping forward a little bit through the book of Judges. There are some interesting call stories that happened there. We've talked about some of them in our Sunday night lessons, but we're going to, to skip to, to Samuel now. He's going to be the last judge of Israel before they begin having kings, before the monarchy. He, he is, he's positioned as a, a period of transition, but there's actually quite a few transitions that happen in the book of Samuel. His initial call, which we're going to study this morning, is about a transition from the house of Eli as priests to Samuel being the one who's going to be uh, serving the Lord. And then you'll see this radical call for the or transition for the whole of Israel, where they have had God supposedly uh, having been their king, and now it's going to be human kings. See, during the time period of the book of Judges, there was no earthly human king sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. What you had was God was supposed to be their king. It's like when Jesus comes talking about the kingdom of God, that's not a completely brand new idea. The idea of God being king is something that has been supposed to be part of the life of Israel and, and the story of God you know, from the beginning. And you see dis- different instances of it. Well, the book of Judges happens at a time period where God is supposed to be king, but the people are not serving him as king. In fact, there's a a recurring phrase towards the end of the book of Judges that says that there was no king in Israel, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. And and you don't have to look at, like, the world too long to realize that when human beings do what's right in their own eyes, things tend to trend downward. Uh, Things don't go very well when that happens. And you can go through the book of Judges, and you'll see just cycle after cycle of human rebellion, and you can read, especially when you get to the end of the book, some of the most awful and uh, gross and immoral and just difficult to stomach stories you'll ever read occur in the book of Judges. Um, I have had people before talk about, uh, like, how bad of a book the Bible is and how the Bible's immoral and all this stuff. And they'll go to these stories in the book of Judges. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point of the book of Judges. And just because it's written in there doesn't mean that the Bible like approves of those stories. It's showing how horrible things have gotten in Israel and how terrible things have gotten when people 
are no longer serving God as king and doing what's right in their own eyes, you read the book of Judges, and it's a tough book to read. It's, a, it's like every page you turn, you're like, and then they did that? Are you kidding me? But the book of Judges leads to 1 Samuel, and then you have Eli, who's this priest, and Eli seems to be um, a good guy to, to a large extent. He seems in some ways to maybe be um, incompetent at handling the task before him. It's not that he is just like an immoral fella, but he's not quite up to the task. And that, that pops up a couple of times throughout the book. And you see this transition happen because Eli has some sons. And the sons actually are immoral people. They seem to be wretched. They are priests, and they are abusing their position as priests uh, to gratify whatever desires they have. They're being uh, greedy. They're, uh, instead of offering the portions to God on the altar they're supposed to, they're like cutting off the best portions for themselves. They're stealing it out of the pot. They are uh, misusing their position as spiritual leaders to benefit themselves. And as Eli is growing older, he's unable to uh, direct his sons and righteous. And so you come to find out a transition's happening from the household of Eli, and God's going to be choosing Samuel. You also find out shortly after that, a transition's going to be happening where the people say, you know what? We've done this whole God being king thing for a while, and it's not working too well. We want a human king. We think that would be better for us. And you come to find out that's actually a wretched mistake that will spiral Israel out of control even more. But then even after you have those human kings, the first one is a guy named Saul, and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And then Samuel has to come along and transition again from the household of Saul to the household of David. So it's like all the way through the book, you're seeing, well, Eli can't do it, and so you have a Samuel who takes over. And then the people reject God as king to choose their own king to take over. And then their first king is a miserable failure, and so there's a transition to a second king. And, and all of a sudden, like, you keep seeing everything they, they plan doesn't work very well, and so they try something new, and then that ends up not working very well either. And Samuel finds himself the prophet of transition. He finds himself the prophet in the middle of all of it. But Samuel is someone who, through each of these transitions, becomes a, a bright spot in the story. His birth is something that's really incredible. Uh, his, his mother, uh, Hannah, was married, was unable to have a child, and she was desperately longing for a child. Her home situation was not very good. Her husband uh, had another wife, and uh, the other one could have children, and, and that was uh, just miserable for Hannah. And so she goes to the temple one day. This is First uh, Samuel chapter 1, and she begins to pray to God, and she's praying so fervently. She's crying her eyes out in this prayer to God, and Eli the priest comes up and sees this woman praying and crying, and being the good, uh, astute priest that he is, he starts yelling at her for being drunk in the temple. Uh, she's not drunk. Uh, he, he's, he's not understanding the, the, the tabernacle. Uh, but he's not understanding the situation. That's, that's just one small glimmer of how sometimes he doesn't always see things uh, the way they, they actually are. But uh, you come to find out this is like a heartfelt prayer to God that God answers. And God gives her the gift of Samuel. And then in response, Samuel is basically given as a gift back to God, to where she has this child, but he also lit, spends his life serving God in the tabernacle and serving God uh, as, as, um, as helping out in the tabernacle and helping out uh, before the Lord. And so Samuel's life is one where he's a blessing to his family, and then he's also, in response, uh, one whose life is to bless God. 
through service. And so he's kind of, uh, you know, I, I read something a while ago that called him the busboy of the temple. You know, he didn't have the most prominent position there. He, his service, was, he wasn't the high priest or anything like that, but he helped out. And he would go there and he would do things that Eli would want him to do, and he would serve before the Lord. But while he was doing that, he grew. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He served faithfully in whatever he was called to do. And there's this recurring phrase and idea of, of his service and of his ministering and of his growing that pops up throughout 1 Samuel. In fact, if you look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 11, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, And Elkanah went to his home in Ramah, but then the second half of the verse says, uh, But the boy, that Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And so Samuel is there, he's a boy, and he's going to stay there, and he's going to help out, and he's going to minister and serve in the, uh, to the Lord before Eli the priest. When you look at verse 18, it says, Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy, wearing an ephod. Now what's interesting about that? As I just read those two verses, verse 11 and verse 18, and they both mention Samuel ministering before the Lord. Now, right in the middle, there's a paragraph there that describes the sons of Eli, who should be serving before the Lord. They should be doing the types of things that Samuel is doing. They should be having the, the proper attitude and, uh, you know, and obeying and being good, faithful, godly priests. But instead, this paragraph in between, in between details how they are offering to you know, beat people up and take the best part of their, their uh, uh, sacrifice by force if the people don't give it over willingly. It's like they are thugs who have taken over the priesthood. And so you have a contrast. If you look at verse 17, right before verse 18, it says, now the sins of the young men, the, the young, so you have the young boy and the young men, uh, but the sins of the young men were very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Those are the priests, yet you have the one who's busting tables there at the tabernacle. Uh, he's the one who's serving the Lord faithfully. When you look at verse 21, it says, uh, And the Lord visited Hannah, that's Samuel's mother, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two girls. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. So now we find out that he's growing. And that's something you'll see repeated when you get to verse 26. It says, but the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. That actually, if you've read the Gospels, if you read Luke, kind of sounds a little bit familiar about someone else who grew in stature and in wisdom with God and men. But what you see is Samuel is, he's spending his life in service and he's growing because of that. When you get to chapter 3 and verse 19, you'll see this again. Then Samuel grew and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. So you're getting this detailed outline of Samuel serving and growing, and serving and growing. And as he gets, gets older, he continues to serve. And so he's on an upward trajectory, while when you're looking at the sons of Eli, you keep finding about their sin, and you keep finding out about their selfishness and their greed, and they're on a downward trajectory. What you're getting here is the story of transition. What you're getting here is God seeing one thing failing and another thing God is working through to, to cause to be on the rise. And so when you get to uh, chapter 3, this is where the call is going to come. You have Samuel who is going to now receive a message from the Lord about what his ministry will look like. We're going to read uh, through 1 Samuel chapter 3 uh, a little bit and make some comments about it before bringing the lesson to a close and, uh, and trying to make some, some points that will 
perhaps be helpful to us when discerning uh, how to live faithfully before God. But in chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And so there you have him ministering again. That, that language pops up a bunch. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. That's an important marker for the setting of the story. It's not like people are having visions or hearing from God or receiving prophecies every other day. It's something that's very, very rare. It's something God doesn't seem to be doing a lot. In fact, I think a lot of times throughout world history, that's probably the case. Um, you know, there are times in the Bible where this happens, and I think we can develop a mindset that, oh, that must happen all the time. And that's something God, that's God's standard model. But it actually seems that that's probably not God's standard model. Uh, God's standard model, by and large, is for his people to grow and to develop and to, to search after him. And he doesn't always break in to give visions and to give these sorts of words of prophecy. And so that's the case right here when Samuel is a boy. In verse 2, it says, It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place, now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was, that the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. So you uh, imagine this scene where uh, Eli's going to sleep, and he actually can't see very well anyway. Uh, his eyesight is growing dim as he's aging. The menorah is still kind of flickering, but the lights haven't gone out yet. So it's a dim, dark room. It's getting late. Uh, Samuel is laying down to fall asleep. And as he drifts off, he hears someone call him. And he says, here I am. Then he gets up and he runs in verse 5. He ran to Eli and he said, here I am. You called me. He's like, he heard someone call him. So he assumes it's Eli. He's falling asleep. And he goes and runs to him. He says, did you call? Have you ever done that before? Uh, where, you know, you, you hear something and you think someone's called you. You're like, Laura, did you call me? She says, no. And I go, oh, okay. Uh, so that seems to be what's going on right here. He thinks that he heard something. But, but Eli's like, no, I didn't say anything. Go back to bed. And so uh, Samuel turns around and uh, he goes back to bed. Then in verse 6, the Lord called him yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli again, and he said, Here I am, for you have called me. But he answered, I did not call my son. Go, lie down again. Uh, and then you read it again in verse uh, 7. Verse 7 is actually a helpful little phrase right here in the middle. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had uh, the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. Uh, so that's interesting. It says he did not yet know the Lord. Um, I think maybe the word recognize could be a good, a good translation of that word. No, he has been serving the Lord. He's no doubt heard stories of the Lord, and, and he's no doubt uh, been, you know, in the tabernacles. Like, he knows about God, but he is about to grow to know the Lord in a more intimate way than he ever has before. Uh, he is about to grow in his knowledge of God, and I do think that's a helpful reminder to us that it's possible to know about God, and it's possible to worship and to serve God, but then it's also possible to really get to where you know God. At this point, he doesn't seem to know God on that level yet. He can't distinguish the voice of God from the voice of Eli, uh, and so he doesn't quite recognize when God is calling to him, uh, but God is not giving up or moving on to someone else. God's going to do this again. I think it's a, it's, there's an important object lesson in here. Um, but then verse 8, so the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and Samuel arose again, and he went to Eli, and he's like, here I am, you called me? And Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. So even in the dark room, even with the bad eyesight, he's starting to realize, okay, 
someone's calling him and it's not me. Uh, I think the Lord is giving this boy a call. And so Eli, the one who's about to be replaced, the ones whose sons are disobedient, the one who uh, is going to uh, ultimately uh, realize that he doesn't have much of a future in Israel, he's going to, interestingly in the story, be the guide who leads Samuel to his ministry and to his uh, uh, call as, as a follower and as a prophet of God. And so here's what Eli says to him in verse 9. But Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his space. And then the Lord came and stood and called at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. So Samuel obeys what he was told to do, and he tells the Lord to speak. And then verse 11, this is where we get the message from God. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In the day that I carry it out against Eli, all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever. That actually happened at the end of verse uh, of chapter 2. There was a guy uh, who, who showed up, a man of God who showed up and, and told Eli this message. But he says, I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because of his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for the sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning. So that's actually not, like, he, I, th I think Samuel loves Eli. I think Samuel cares a lot about it. Eli has been his mentor. Eli has been someone who uh, has been leading and guiding him. And if you've ever had that relationship with someone, you tend to care a lot about that person. You don't want to see bad things happen about that per for that person. And so, like, Samuel's trying to sleep, and he keeps hearing this voice, and he keeps going to Eli, the person who is his mentor and someone who has been guiding him and someone who he has a lot of respect for. And he's saying, are you calling me? And Eli, being a godly man, begins to realize, I'm not calling you. I think the Lord is. Go listen to what the Lord has to say. And when he does, he finds out the very message that he's supposed to bring is a message of condemnation to the one who he loves and who is guiding him. That puts Samuel in a really, really bad spot. In fact, it's such a bad spot, verse 15 says, that he lay until the morning. I think the idea there is that he's laying awake, like tossing and turning, thinking about this message here. Uh, I don't think he's sleeping peacefully the rest of the night. He's now laying down until morning, thinking, what in the world am I going to do? I don't want to, I mean, this, this isn't something that fills Samuel with, with happiness. This is something that, I mean, imagine having those difficult conversations that you don't want to have with somebody, but all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, he's forced to have this conversation. And so verse 15 continues. It says, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. He said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more if you hide anything from me, all of, all of the words that he spoke to you. So Eli recognizes Samuel had a vision last night. God has told him something, and he's afraid to say it. Uh, Eli, while the message is against him in his household, is still actually very helpful in leading Samuel to be the type of prophet that he's going to be. Eli is a very interesting character, I think. He's someone who, uh, his household's kind of a mess. Uh, he doesn't always get everything right, 
but he's someone who ultimately loves God and is ultimately used by God. God gives him long life and in and, and service to him, but God's not going to continue things on with the family line of, of Eli, and that is, that's a difficult message for him, but it's one he's willing to listen to, it's one he's willing to accept, and it's one he's telling Samuel, you be honest with everything that the Lord has told you. That's what matters most right now. Don't be afraid. Don't stop with what God, don't reject what God has called you to do because it's difficult. Be honest and let it all out. So, verse 17, Samuel says, uh, sorry, uh, verse 18, Samuel says, So Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, that's a powerful response to that message. He doesn't immediately begin to argue with God. He doesn't say, well, God is wrong, and he doesn't understand, and it's my son's fault, and it's not my fault, and I didn't do it. Instead, what he says is, well, I'm not the Lord, and the Lord is the Lord, and so I suppose it's better for me to listen to him than for him to follow what, what I would say. And so he receives the word of the Lord with an attitude of humility and submission to what God wants, Samuel was one who was willing to speak the word of the Lord, even though it was difficult and it wasn't something he wanted to do. And so you have like a perfect model here of what prophet and people, what their relationship would be. Like the prophet should love the people and he shouldn't want to go out there and preach a message of condemnation. He should, you know, if, if you love the people, that's not what you want to do. But at the same time, preaching truth matters. And preaching what people need to hear is actually an act of love. If you hide what people need to hear in order to make them happy, if he were to tell Eli, you're doing great, I hope you have a wonderful day, God was just saying to give you a nice pat on the back and a thumbs up, then like, that's not the message Eli needed, and that's not a message that was true. And even though it would have felt better, it would have ultimately put things off track for what God's mission and purpose was. And so you have the prophet who loves the people, but also wants to speak truth. And you have Eli representing the people who will listen, even if it's an unfavorable message, in obedience and in submission to the Lord. And so you have a great picture here of what prophetic relationship should look like, but very rarely does. Then you have verse 19 through 21 which is, in essence, establishing the legitimacy of Eli. The next story in chapter 4 uh, and 5 is going to be the story of the downfall of Eli and his sons. Uh, Eli is going to die. He's going to fall out of a chair and break his neck after he hears that the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen. His sons are going to die in battle. Uh, so you're going to have the end of his household, and you're going to have Samuel taking over as the final judge of Israel and as the one that uh, is... Uh, is representing God to the people. But as so, if you look at verse 19 through 21, we have this final concluding paragraph that legitimizes the ministry of Samuel. It says, Now Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to Samuel at Shiloh, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so here it is. Remember, visions are infrequent and, and prophecy is rare. But here you have a bona fide prophet of God so that everyone, whether they like his messages or not, comes to know and to believe 
hey, this guy's actually doing something here. Uh, God's actually working and speaking through him. And so Samuel's um, reputation grows as Samuel grows in his faithfulness to the Lord. Then you continue to read the rest of the story, and you can see a lot of the things that he does. He's the one who rebukes kings, like King Saul, when Saul, uh, on a number of occasions, acts unfaithfully. He's the one who continues to do what we saw right here, only in larger scale. It's Samuel who's the one who has to, his first message is, look, the household of Eli is coming to an end and he's being replaced. And then he has to talk with God and say, look, the people don't want you to be king anymore. They want a new king. And then he has to go to Saul and say, look, God doesn't want you to be king anymore. He's going to choose a new king, David. And, And that's going to be a lot of what his ministry is, is ending one regime and trying to begin another regime. It's a ministry of transition. But what we can learn from this, I think, when it comes to listening to the voice of God and hearing about service to him, is just like so many of the other call stories that we've read, this one begins not with someone out searching for a call. Rather, what he's doing is he's living faithfully where he finds himself. Whether it was Moses out there tending sheep, or whether it was Abraham as he was with his family, or whether it's Samuel right here. Samuel's just trying to sleep one night. He's serving in the temple. And God's the one who initiates the call. Uh, So it's not that he has to go out and search and find or create some sort of call for himself. He lives faithfully right where he is, and God interrupts that with something else. I think if you want to know what your purpose is in the church, just live faithfully to God where you are and see what happens. See what falls into your lap. See what needs arise. See what people approach you with and ask you about. See what you can do that will help. But the key is not to go out and to, uh, to create it for yourself necessarily. You serve faithfully where you are, and you see what arises, and God could use that. That tends to be a pattern in each of these call stories, as they are living their life, and God interrupts it. Uh, God, God interrupts stuff sometimes. Uh, he often interrupts our plans. He interrupts our visions for the direction we want our life to go. He interrupts our comfort, and uh, we need to be ready and willing to uh, listen when that happens. Number two, Samuel did not immediately understand or recognize God's call. Remember, three times uh, it happens, and he thinks it's Eli. It, sometimes the call of God isn't, like, he didn't get a burning bush scene, you know? He didn't get uh, Ezekiel standing there by the river Kivar and seeing the whole world turn into this apocalyptic vision. Like, he didn't have that kind of call. It was something where he was tired, he was going to sleep late at night, he heard a voice, he didn't even know it was God's voice, and, and he, had to, he had to be guided into God's call, which, number three, I think is important. Uh, while you might not have a very obvious, direct, clear, loud call from God, Sometimes the call is best discerned through counsel. He goes to Eli, and if it weren't for Eli, I don't know exactly what would have happened because, well, Eli was there. That's how the story went. But Eli told him, this is what you say, and you listen. And then even after he received that call, Eli is the one who says, it doesn't matter if you're afraid. Still say it. Like, Eli guided him into what he was trying to do. And I tend to think that... uh, A lot of times, if we are considering taking on a new ministry, doing something in service to God, one of the best things you can do is to get some counsel on it. Talk to other people about it. 
Talk to the community of faith about it. Talk to the elders about it. But make sure communication and counsel is a part of your decision, of your spiritual decision making. Uh, don't always try to do everything on your own. You have a family who wants to be a part of your life and who wants to help in these things. So rely upon your family. That'll, that'll help you grow closer to them. And it'll help give you more wisdom and discernment as you consider what God is calling you to do. Number four, and this also is interesting, the counsel uh, or the, the, the call was not what Samuel wanted to hear. I, I hear people a lot of times talk about like, and God called us here, God called us to do this. And what so often is the case is the place that God called them is also the place they wanted to go. Uh, the thing that God called them to do is the very thing they wanted to do. It happens to be the thing that, you know, gives them more money, or it happens to be the thing that uh, gives them more enjoyment, or it happens to be, and, and one way I think uh, you can at least cause yourself to pause, or, or perhaps we should pause when it comes to thinking about what God is calling us to do, is if God is always calling you to do exactly what you want to do, it may not be God calling you. Uh, it may be that you're doing what you want to do, which, which, by the way, a lot of times is fine, as long as you're not, like, you know, sinning or whatever. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, sometimes we, we want to spiritualize our decision-making so that we kind of do what we want to do, and then we, we throw God along with us to say, oh, this is really God's call. And that's not at all what Samuel does. It's certainly not what Moses does. Not really what, like, that's not the standard model. What you generally see is people are called, and they're like, um, excuse me, I'd rather not do that, and let me tell you why. Uh, and, and so the call is not always something that you want to do, but is something, it's an opportunity that God is now giving you that, uh, well, it may be difficult. It may get you uncomfortable. It may make you afraid like it did Samuel, but then you act upon it anyway. And finally, I would say that is, uh, that is the, the final response to the call. Number five is when that uncomfortable, unexpected call happens, Samuel answered it, and Samuel was faithful to it. Samuel did give the message to Eli. He did become someone who regularly spoke on behalf of the Lord. He did become someone who was a prophet that everyone from Dan even to Beersheba knew. He is someone who had those uncomfortable conversations with God. He had those uncomfortable conversations with King Saul, but he did what God was calling him to do. And I don't know, you know, I, I, again, I, I've said it before, every one of us is called through the gospel. And I think through our gifts and through our uh, abilities that God has granted us, we can be called in different ways in the church. But I don't always know exactly what uh, your call is going to be or what my call is going to be. Is I think it can be different at different times for different people. But I'll say one thing that we should do is open up our ears. Listen for needs as they arise. Because those needs very well may be the, the needed ingredient to finding your call. Um, Listen to the needs. Listen to the counsel of others. Read scripture. Be aware of what's going on in the church around you. And when you have ideas, this it drives me crazy about myself. There are times where I'll have an idea and I'll think, you know what? I should reach out to that person. And I think that'd be a great thing to do. And then I'm like driving and I get home and then I put up my keys, my wallet, and I go to the and I just never do it. And it's like I had the idea and it was a good idea. And then I just, I didn't act upon it. What I want to encourage you to do is if you have ideas for things that would be good, if you have an idea for something, you know, I should go to that. I should encourage this person. I should act upon that. 
well, just do it. <laughs> Sounds simple enough, but, but don't put it off. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow, but make a plan or just stop what you're doing and act upon it. And that might be one of the best possible ways to get into a habit and to cultivate a, a regular habit of answering the call of being a servant to others, to answering a call of being a servant and a minister of Christ. And I think we have a church here where there's plenty of people and there's plenty of opportunity for us each to do that. If we acted upon what we knew what we could do in service to others, think about how much more we could be doing. When we thought, you know, I should, I should give and support that, and then you actually did that, how much more could we support our mission work? How much more could we support uh, those in need in our community and some of the works and the things going on in this church? Act upon the ideas that you have is one of the best ways to get into a habit of answering the call that you are, are uh, offered. Um, the call that everyone has and the most important call to answer is the one to become a follower of Christ Jesus. And that's a call for everyone in here. And if there is anyone in here who would like to become a Christian, who would like to name Jesus as Lord of your life, having your sins washed away in baptism, living for him from this point forward, please let that be known. You can uh, talk to one of our elders in the, in the library in the back, or you can come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.